0: I don't know how I'm going to probably get through much of this this morning because of time. And so, uh, if you would, just kind of hang with me. Will you do that? And, um, I'm probably going to bounce around my notes a lot because I'm going to have to condense a little bit. But I do want to talk about this morning the topic of reformers. It's not, it's not a plug for our conference whatsoever. It's just something that's on my heart. Um, I have no idea how it necessarily ties to Mother's Day, nor will I try to make it tie to Mother's Day. But it's the conversation God's having. And how many know when he's having a conversation with you, you want to talk about what he's talking about? Sometimes we get up here and we have our notes put together and that's not the conversation God's having. And we try to get through it and it doesn't go so easy. And sometimes God's talking about something else. And this morning I felt like God was talking about this topic of reformers. And I'm in a, we're in the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther. And 500 years ago, Martin Luther decided that it was time that everybody could read their own Bible. And they didn't have to go through the controlling regime that was put together in the church to be able to read their church. So he did something crazy. He decided that they were going to translate it that way everybody could read it. And I believe there's something to this. I really feel strongly. I've been even texting with some of the speakers, and Bill Vanderbush has been one of them. He said, John, he said there's something really on this conference, man. He said, this thing on reforming in this year, just the timing of it, something's going to happen. And reformers, my heart has been for the reformers more than necessarily always talking about reformation, because I believe reformation is a word that when I throw it out there, it turns into a blur with some people. They're like, well, heard this one before. And, And sometimes they can almost just, it becomes blurry because we've used that word so much. But I actually want to focus a little bit more on reformers than necessarily a reformation, but I'm going to talk about both of them. But how many of you understand that revivals come and go? Reformation comes and changes culture that sustains. The problem is is that most revivals are based on the repentance from sin, which means that you keep needing sin to have your revival. If the end goal is just revival, that means really that we're just trying to keep getting sinners through the door instead of changing culture so that we can raise up people who know their identity in the Lord. Did I hit you hard too quick? A move of God that's fueled by sin is not sustainable. Um, what happens with the church is every, as a matter of fact, there's been books that have been written on this topic and, and there's a pattern that actually, About every 500 years, and this is a pattern, that about every 500 years, something major shifts and happens with the church. Imagine it like this. Imagine that the church is a house, like a family, and how many of you know that families tend to collect things over years that they don't need? Some of you are like looking at your spouse like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. How many of you know that there's things that we buy that was like an impulse buy that was like, I've been sitting there for like 12 years. And, uh, and how many of you know at some point it comes time to clean house? That's what happens with churches, is over years and years and years of, of, of just advancing and moving forward, there are things that we pick up. Sometimes, uh, and it's, it's not always a bad thing, but sometimes there's things that we pick up along the way that we really didn't need to pick up, but we went ahead and picked it up, and because we had it, we're going to take it with us. And about every 500 years, the Lord decides it's time for a garage sale at church. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to take all of those doctrines and all of those little pieces of theology and all these little things about how you view God and how you believe in healing and how you believe in this, and we're going to get a clean house. And we're going to do a reset, which is called a reforming of the church, which is a reformation. See, we don't even break these words apart. It's a reformation of the church. And so we carry these things around. Actually, the Lord gave someone a dream about this about six or seven years ago. Someone in this church had a dream where exactly that was happening. They said, all I know is that you were taking things out of the church and it was just, you were cleaning house, you were cleaning house, you were cleaning house. And you were looking through all these things and said, remember when this was important and remember when this was great. And there are things that in the right season, it's fine. But sometimes God says that season's no longer, you're in a new place, you don't need that anymore. And so uh, the Lord's been giving dreams on this topic for a while, but I think it's important for us to understand our part on it because I am not the reformer that's going to change this whole city, or we are not an apostolic church because an apostolic church is built up of everyone in the house as a leader in your realm. But that's not the that's that's one of those things over the past five hundred years that we've adopted is that I just go to church and they're the leaders and they can do their thing, I'll do my thing, and then we split ways. But with that model, you'll never be apostolic. Because it's not an apostolic model. Because the one that's the true apostle even said, We sang it this morning, do it this way, our Father that art in heaven, hallowed be their name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is he doing? He's telling you how to act. You do this, you release heaven to earth. That's what apostolic is. And so, but what happens is, is over the course of time, we pick up all these things that, you know, somebody told us this in a small group and we hung on to it and, and we've hung on to it and we've hung on to it and just maybe, maybe God's saying, you know, maybe you can let that one go. I know I'm making you uncomfortable. It's a, Listen, there are things that I have been 15 years ago. I've been in full-time ministry. I went full-time at 18 years old. I started really, really young. There are even things that I taught that I look back and say, well, that was dumb. So you haven't got to feel all awkward like, well, I mean, everything that I know is good. You know, there, there, there's a reason it's called a renewing of the mind. You can't renew your mind if you don't change the way you think. And if you say that I'm not going to change my mind on anything, there's no way you'll ever be renewed in your mind, which means you'll never be transformed into his image. And so God says every so often, he says, listen, it's gotten really, really, your house has gotten full of a lot of junk. We really need to do a garage sale and let's get all of it out. I know you really like that old chair that has formed around you, but it's okay to let it go. Some of you are like, it's getting too personal now. (laughs) I want to tell a story that I've told before, and I want to go there again because I feel like a lot of you probably haven't heard it. And I just want to focus on about two or three reformers this morning specifically, and these are the ones that the Lord's put on my heart. But 50 years ago, there was a man whose name was Lonnie Frisbee who had a a tremendous encounter with the Lord. And I think his his encounter with the Lord is, first of all, hilarious because of how the nature of it happened. And some of you are like, what's so funny? I'm getting ready to tell you. Because Lonnie Frisbee was a nudist, homosexual hippie that was on acid when he had an encounter with the Lord. For those of you praying for that family member, you don't think there's hope? I said he was a nudist, homosexual, hippie tripping on acid when God came and encountered him. And so in that moment, Jesus talks to him. And here, you want to know what Jesus says to him? You want to know what his encounter was? It wasn't Jesus saying, Lonnie, get saved. It's not what Jesus said to him. In that encounter, Jesus came to Lonnie and said, Lonnie, I need you. See, Jesus has this pattern of doing that. He did it with the disciples, too. You look at the disciples and think, "Well, obviously they're the 12 disciples. They weren't when He picked them. He came to them and said, "I need you." I, can you imagine the people like, "Do you know Peter?" What <laughs> do you know, Peter? Have you heard him talk? The guy can't shut his mouth and Peter's like, "I'm in?" Peter was always the guy like, let's do it, you know? And Jesus is like, bam, I'll choose you. The problem is, is that we don't, we choose people based on what they can do for us. Jesus was choosing them because of what he already saw that he had put on them. And he saw these 12 and he said, I choose you and I choose you, I choose you. You're, it's not because you're trained, it's because you're qualified. You're qualified because I've called you. And, and here's Lonnie, here's this guy. And Lonnie began teaching the gospel and he came across the passage in his Bible that says that you need to baptize people. And so he decided, he has no ministry experience, guys. He has a lot of other experiences, but he doesn't have ministry experience. And here he is, he decides, well, the Bible says that we need to baptize people, so let's do it. So he takes them down to the ocean and he literally begins to throw people in the water. I'm not talking, you know, bless you. He's just like, (laughs) can you imagine if we did that? Just put people in and threw them in the tub. And Lonnie is literally, the accounts say that he would throw these people into the water and he begins throwing them into the waves. And as he's actually baptizing people, other people that are not even Christians start coming up and saying, I don't know what's going on, but I want to be baptized. And the accounts are that as he would take them, he would grab them and say, sure, and he'd throw them into the water. And then all of a sudden they get hit, they get saved, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they'd come out of the water like a whole different person. It's not but they didn't quite follow the whole discipleship program. He just said sure. He ultimately does this to thousands of people. What's well, my point? He had no idea what he was doing, and that made him the perfect candidate to shift culture. It made him. We, we've we've relied on people that we think are the pros. I don't ever want to be considered a pro, <laughs> because how many of you know? It seems like soon as you really think you figured it out, God's like, "Watch this." <laughs> we figured this out, and He's like, <laughs> "Yeah." God isn't looking for trained, he's looking for qualified. And what qualifies you is that you just say yes when he calls you. And this is what makes reformers. This is what makes this conference we're doing. This is why we took the price and we just slashed it to get people in the door because I said, I, if, whatever. We just need to get people here because we want to get people in an environment where we see the reformer in them come alive that says, I can do this. They leave saying, I can actually take on the world. Around the same time, there was a man named Chuck Smith who was pastoring a church, and he found out what Lonnie was doing, and he reached out to Lonnie and said, listen, you're saving all these people. We need to bring them in, and we need to train them up. Good pastor, right? That's what pastors do. They want to disciple people. That's a good thing. And so Lonnie partners with Chuck Smith, who's the pastor of this church, and you know, all of a sudden, they begin taking all of these hippies that are getting saved and bringing them in the church, and um, the board was not getting happy because there were things that were happening, that were not very church boardish, and all of a sudden they took they t- <laughs> they took their beautiful organ and they shoved it to the side and they introduced guitars and drums, and all of a sudden they 're reforming worship they're- ref- 're reforming what worship is, and then they're bringing it in and the question is is you know there are times that <laughs> Chuck's church, they were not real happy about this. They were concerned about how they were messing up their church. <laughs> the question is, is, are we willing to let God mess up everything we know to bring us into a season filled with things that we don't know? Or are we comfortable in that, 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 that squishy seat? Or are we willing to let it go and say, I want to come into a season where it's okay if I don't know. See, I'm kind of one of those guys, I like the unknown, I like movies that are unknown, I like just the process that's unknown, I love it when it's like, what's going to happen? If I know the ending, no fun. So I enjoy coming and saying, God, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do today? And if we're ever going to step into a realm of the tremendous, you see, unless you're willing to be in a realm of not understanding, you can't ever get to walk in the realm of revelation. You have to first be okay with not understanding. Everybody says, I just want wisdom and revelation, Jesus. But I'm not going to believe that or go even open the door because, woo, but I'm going to stay right where I am because I just want wisdom and revelation. What do you need wisdom and revelation for if you already know everything? There has to be a point where you step out of the known into the unknown, where you get to understand something new about God. God, Peter could have never known the side of God that he knew until he stepped on the water and said, wow, didn't know I could do that. But he first had to step out. (laughs) I'm excited. I've been on vacation for a week. I'm ready to roll, guys. So hang on. I'm going to move quick. I promise. So Lonnie begins to bring all these radically saved hippies into Chuck's church. And, you know, they begin to reform worship. They begin to change everything. And thousands of people begin to flood into this church in Costa Mesa, California, to experience contemporary worship. (laughs) Lonnie was not perfect. He just said yes. And your Bible doesn't say that God opposes the wrong and gives grace to the right. It says he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And Lonnie was broken and humble as it got. I, I, I find it important to have a good understanding of God. I think we need to have a good view of God. I think we need to have a good theology, and I think all that's important, but... We need to make sure that we're as concerned about the position of our hearts as we are the theology in our heads. Because I know some people that this can get a little off as they're pursuing this. I have a, one of my best friends who is Jonathan Walton, and he is very much into theology. And I asked him one time, I said, John, I said, you really have a really good understanding. I said, how do you sometimes sit through and hear some of the things that you know are just really off? Like you can sit there and hear people talking about it. He said, I always connect with their heart. He said, I always connect with their heart, not so much their words. He said, because I can connect with their heart. Now, if there's a heart issue, it makes it even harder but I always connect with their heart. I even asked him, I'm doing this mentorship track, and there's, there's video, well, I won't say that, but there's things sometimes that people say things that I know even he wouldn't agree 100% with, and he said, John, he said, where's the maturity needed if we're never in a place where we have to decide what's right or wrong? And he said, there's a place of mature believers that say, I don't necessarily get that all the way or believe that all the way, but that's okay, we're mature believers, I know I'm preaching, I'm kind of preaching to two different people for a minute here because I think that it's important that we have a good view on God. It's huge for me. It's the core of my message. But I also think it's important that we have a good heart. Yeah. Okay. Nothing will shut somebody off to hearing what you have to say quicker than a hard and cold heart. You'll they, never get in. You'll never get in. So this guy Chuck Smith, this pastor of this church, he begins to work with another guy named John Wimber. Anybody know that name? John Wimber had a had and has had a powerful passion for the supernatural. So the good thing is, is you got already got all these hippies that are pretty open to that. <laughs> they're okay with trippy experiences, so they're not I'm telling you, man. Sometimes I would rather deal with that in a heartbeat than someone stout, like stuck in religion. <laughs> I love some. I've got family, and I won't say where they're at, but <laughs> that are that are kind of new agey. They're real new agey. But you know what? They're, they they see things on Tiffany and I more than all the religious ones can see. And I remember when we walked into their house one time, they looked at us, and I don't remember what they said. It was something super new agey. And it, was, and it was like, oh, you just have such a aura or whatever around you. It's just glowing. I'm like, well, you're seeing something glowing. I'm like, that's definitely the Holy Spirit in the presence of the Lord that we carry. But the cool thing is, is that they see it. And they, encounter, and they already begin to, oh, something's there. And so here's all these people that have been saved, there have been wild people, and now they say, okay, we've got a pastor, but we need to bring him under the influence of someone that's really moving in the supernatural. So they bring John Wimber in, and this is where things really get crazy. (laughs) So you've got all these people getting saved through Lonnie and Chuck, and now you've got the supernatural they're bringing in. Now, if you don't know who John Wember is, he's the one that, if you want to call it, birthed the Vineyard movement. If you've been a Christian for more than 15 years, likely you've heard a lot of really powerful Vineyard music, right? Where was it born? But where was it born? Born? It was born through a guy that said yes. He was tripping. Literally. And naked. And he had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus said to him, I need you. And he said yes. And he started bringing them in. And they said, you know, this sounds crazy, but we like guitars and drums. Any chance that we could lift up the name of Jesus with our instruments? he said, yeah, let's move that organ out of the way. Let's bring it in. And all of a sudden, contemporary praise and worship is birth. And then they come and they bring what they've got to John Wimber. And then a vineyard music movement that has affected hundreds of thousands of people was born because someone said yes. Here's the thing. God has a perspective about you. That's far beyond where you are now. And he doesn't let now. Detour his plans for your future. I could go. I'm not going to go. I got so many stories I could go through. But. There was another church. It was a big AG church. That was. uh, In Lakeland Florida. It's called Carpenter's Church. And. And long story short, um, this was a real well-put-together church, you know, three-piece suits, ties, all that jazz. And uh, something happened where they were supposed to have another guy come in and speak, but it didn't work out, so they ended up bringing in this guy named Rodney Howard Brown. The cool part about this story is Rodney Howard Brown is actually a pretty serious guy. He's not that funny. And the Lord decides to drop joy on the place. And all of a sudden, I mean, they're all like in their suits, and they're done up, and all of a sudden, Rodney Howard Brown comes in, and joy slams the place. And in this movement, there's a man that most of you, I'm getting a little bit more in our time now, that a lot of you, especially even you millennials know, named Randy Clark, that went to one of those services, and Randy Clark is a guy that ultimately got impacted through the Vineyard Movement, in Tor- and he went to Toronto, and how many know a Heidi Baker, Anybody know Heidi Baker? Heidi Baker's the one that every time you hear her speak, you wanna just sell everything and be a missionary to Africa. Doesn't matter what your plot in life is, she speaks and it's like, I'm moving to Africa, period. It's (laughs) it's just just who you are. And here he is, he prays over her and he says, I'll never forget it, Randy Clark said, this lady comes up to the front, Heidi Baker, she gets hit by the spirit, she ends up upside down and her feet are in the air and he's like, weirdest thing ever. I mean, think of that. He said, I felt like I was supposed to anoint her, but I couldn't anoint her head because it was in the ground. He said, so I'll anoint her feet. From there, she went, and she's literally winning Mozambique for the Lord. And she, everywhere her feet are going, she's taking the land. And why? They anointed her feet. <laughs> Randy Clark. Back to, John, back to Rodney Howard Brown. Back to John Wimber. Chuck Smith. Lonnie. Tripping on acid and naked said yes. See, sometimes you don't follow the trail. You gotta follow the path. And something else that happened that was interesting. So here's Randy Clark, and the, the laughter movement began to happen, and it was really looked down upon in the church because church people can be very depressing. And so they're <laughs> laughing, and nobody likes being around a laugher if you're not happy. How, you know what I'm saying? How many of you know if someone is like beating you at something and they start laughing? It's on. It's like, it's on. Like, nothing makes me more angry if I'm playing a game and then someone starts to laugh. And my son is the worst at it. And he's now better at me on video games. And he's like, that was dumb, Dad. I'm like, it's fine. You won't be that way. (laughs) Then you pull the dad card. Don't make me put this PS4 away. Why, because you're losing? Yes. Yes, I'm losing. It's because you laughed. And so all of a sudden, laughter comes into the church. And all of a sudden, all these people that have been super uptight begin to laugh. (laughs) They begin to laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And all this crazy stuff's happening because the Holy Spirit's breaking out. And sometimes you just don't know what to do. So crazy joy breaks out. the church majorly pushed back on joy sad isn't it they pushed back on joy same thing happened in acts 2 when they got they're drunk well yeah but <laughs> not what you think why cuz they were slap happy and having a good time and they well that must not be gone the fear of the Lord is your strength (laughs) the joy of the Lord is your strength and the church pushed back on it pushed back on it pushed back on it and the interesting thing is is now that the United States is the number one leading nation in antidepressants could it be that God was trying to bring the answer before the problem could it be that he was trying to bring the answer when he saw what was coming? You see, God has this way of giving answers before problems. But if people won't be willing to do something crazy, a lot of times you don't get to tap into it. (laughs) What is Noah building? Is that a boat? in the middle of the land. Why? Well, for when the rain comes. That's a big boat, Noah. Can you imagine the mockery? But can you imagine the looks on the faces when the rain started? The church should be the place that has the answer before the problem, and when people come, they've already got answers. But we can't be that if we're not okay with walking in something before its time. It's awkward. It's awkward. Why are you laughing? (laughs) It's just. I don't know. (laughs) What's funny? I don't know. You see, they took heat. They took heat for moving out organs. They took heat for laughing. But the new thing that God is looking to do in the earth will always be controversial because it's new. And religion hates new. Because religion is doing old without power. It's form without power. It's how can we look like we're doing something real, but there's nothing real in it. And then we'll build churches around acting like we're doing something real, but it's really empty of power. And then when you come on the scene and all of a sudden you're demonstrating what real looks like, their definitions of real has been rocked. You're crazy. Noah was crazy to them. Your Bibles say that people are mocked for this stuff. The devil hates new because it's one of the only, it's one of the things he cannot do is produce new. He can't create So new means it's something that it's almost laughing in his face. Because he says, well, I can't produce something, but I can recreate something. So I'll just recreate a move of God instead of let's step into what the new thing is that the Lord's doing. And it drives him nuts. And so God released joy into the church. And for the most part, the church really backed away and they threw stones at it. And next thing we know, we've got this epidemic of depression And I believe that God was trying to give the answer before the problem. We see an interesting scripture for the sake of time. Please just write it down. But Revelation 13, 8 says this. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Answer before the problem. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. This is how God works. In the very first book of your Bible, we read about. M- mankind messed up The cool thing is you get all the way To the end of your Bible In the last book of the Bible it says You know what God the lamb was slain Before even the foundation of the earth God had an answer before the need We have to be open to the new if we want to be reformers. I'm the kind of guy that it's easy for me to get rid of stuff. It's just my personality, really. It's not my daughter's. She's the girl that collects menus that she colors on from the restaurant and brings them home because they mean something to her. Oh, it's cute. I know. I was like, oh, my. And she's also the kind of little girl that would like fold it up and give it to you as a gift. And if you open the wrong side, you're like, ooh, a karamas menu. You know, flip it over. Flip it over. That's that's my daughter. She's just, she's like, everything's like that. I'm really kind of the person that's like, let it go. It's just how I roll. It's not how my dad rolls. That's how I roll. I think I get it from my mom. Let's <laughs> not so start a family argument in the middle of this church right now. <laughs> That's saying, yep, that's where she got it from. <laughs> oh my goodness! But here's the thing, you know, I don't want to be the person that looks back at something. The one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to look back and God showed me something and I said no. And then I see it come about somewhere else. And then He said, "I invited you into that." I had a I had a realization uh, last October. We were at a, a conference in New York, and it was it was it was. A moment for me but I feel like a moment for the church where I was sitting in a room full of about 30 or 40 leaders and one of the special guests that was coming was Danny Silk. Danny Silk's an awesome preacher, writer, pastor guy and um, I'd never been in a small atmosphere with him and so we were meeting and I was sitting in the back of the room and Danny came in and he just kind of leaned on the door right next to me and you know you kind of get that oh Danny's here you know that, that cool he, it's Danny Silk and I was looking at him and the Lord spoke to me really clearly He said, John, he said, I've invited you into something different, but it's not that. And he spoke to my heart, and he said, I'm inviting you into something that's forming right now. It's like wet concrete. And he said, if you'll be a part of it, it will firm up, and I'm going to build something on it. But it's like wet concrete right now. And I remember at that moment, sometimes you need to realize that there are things that God does in the earth that maybe or maybe I'm not invited into that thing. But I am invited into something. And I want to be where I'm invited. I want to be in the moment that I'm invited into. And what happens is, is when leaders and churches start trying to invite themselves to things that aren't theirs, they become duplicates. And everybody's like, well, this church is blowing up, so let's do everything like that church. Because they're exploding because they're doing what they're supposed to do. You'll only be a B version of them. You'll never be better than a B version of someone else. You can't be better at them than they are. <laughs> True story. Because <laughs> God has invited you into something unique and independent. And it's beautiful. God told Joseph, told him to store up seven years of grain for a famine that was coming. Imagine that one. There's Joseph again, buying all the grain. For that famine, what is this, year five, Joseph? This is year six of your grain hoarding? I mean, seriously, it's got to be awkward. It's like going to the store and constantly buying the same thing for six years and saying, guys, listen, I'm, I'm packing up. Why? Famine? Why? God told me so. People look crazy that do things that God tells them to do when it's the answer before the problem. Because it's out of context still. But here's the thing. God told Noah to build an ark. He told Joseph to store up grain. Why? Because God's nature is good. And he's so good that he even wants to let you in on the answers before you really need them. Because he's that, he's that good. He's not just good enough to give you the answer in the place of need. He's good enough to give you the answer before you need it. He's that good. Sometimes we hear things, I I pray, I mean, I hear some of the craziest things when I pray sometimes, like, what does that mean? And I look back three, four, five years later, I'm like, oh, that's what that meant. And you're like, you get it now. But sometimes you got to stand on the weird stuff because it doesn't make sense. Why am I doing this? God told me to. And I'm in. We can trust him. God doesn't react. That's not how he operates. Settle settle that in your spirit a minute. God is not one who reacts. He's proactive. He knows things from the beginning. He knows it before you're born. And he's got it figured out. And even if you... Mess it up. He's got amazing plan B's. So good that you'll think it was plan A. Paul even said that. He's like, guys, you don't have to keep sinning to get grace. I know it's amazing, but you don't have to do it that way. Why? Because God's response was so amazing to a sin problem. They felt like they had to sin to get it. He's that good at taking things that are broken and making them whole. That people think it has to be broken. Just to experience it, he's that good at making crooked things straight. All the young people in the room right now, you know, I'm, I you hear this all the time. Well, they're just they're just going through their process of learning who they are. Well, maybe you are, but usually when that's said, it's in the context of their kids doing a bunch of really dumb stuff. Let me talk to the young people a minute. You don't have to do that to experience how amazing he is I didn't my testimony is not a testimony of well I was drunk every weekend and I was just in the gutters and no I grew up in church in my opinion that's a bigger sign, wonder and a miracle that I'm a pastor's kid <laughs> and I'm still a pastor, that's all I'm saying some people, during some moves of God, my, never mind, I won't say that. But <laughs> I'll just say it. I, I, I grew up in that. That was me. I didn't do a bunch of crazy stuff. I never tried it. And I was cool with that. And I don't, and I don't have this, man, dude, I, I know how much God loves me. And I'm really blessed. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed of my blessings because I know they're from him. And why would I be embarrassed of his gifts? And I know this, that I'm talking to the younger people in this room. I'm telling you, you don't have to do a bunch of dumb stuff to experience how great he is. Now, he is great, so if you're doing dumb stuff, you're still in good hands. He's still there. But you don't have to, to experience it. Bring me people that are 18, 19 years old. It's like, man, all I know is I've rested in the love of God my whole life. Let's see what they do, man. It's powerful. It's powerful. God is that good that He tries to bring you joy in advance of the hurt. Why am I getting, I mean, you ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that maybe when someone's getting slammed with joy and they're like, <laughs> in church, and, and maybe it's even starting to irritate you a little bit. Maybe the next day they're gonna get hit with a terrible situation and God's saying, let's just fill up the joy tank. I remember hearing a story, and I'm closing out, I promise. I remember hearing a story of uh, Randy Clark was, no, Bill Johnson was in a conference, and he said he was on the front row, and he said, I have to be honest, one of the things that really irritates me, he said, is when people get really kind of like all in their own flesh during worship, and you know they're not worshiping, they're just fleshy. And this, he said, just irritates me. And he said, there was this lady that was like literally like, he said, like, doing everything from, like, cartwheels and everything else in the front of the church. And Bill was like, I could feel myself getting irritated. And he's like, I was like, yeah, I wasn't able to worship. And he said, Heidi Baker came over and leaned up against him and put her arm around him. And, you know, Heidi, she's like, Bill, isn't that amazing? And Bill's like, yeah, yeah, it's something. And... uh, And she says, you know what? That lady just got set free. She has been in sex trafficking or something like that for like 20 years. God came in, saved her, wrecked her. And this is her first time in a worship service. And Bill's like, that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. All I'm saying is, is listen, there are things that happen that you don't understand what God may be preparing you for tomorrow. He may be blowing you up with joy because he knows your week's going to be a challenge. He may be giving you just the father's embrace because he knows it's going to be a heavy week. Because he's that good that he says, I don't want to just give you answers after the fact. I want to give you answers now so you can stand on them and hold on to them. But the thing is, is you have to be okay with the answers not matching your situation right now. And it doesn't match when I'm in the middle of church and I just start laughing about nothing. Nothing. But we can't step into something new if we're still living in a garage full of junk. And God is saying it's time to let go of some things. It may have served its purpose, but you don't need it anymore. I have way too many notes left, so let's land this. says in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and can't understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. And if you back it up to verse four, it says this, my message and my preaching We're not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Stop there a second. My message and my preaching were not with persuasive words. In other words, it wasn't that great. It wasn't that pretty. It just wasn't that amazing. But I demonstrated the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith wouldn't rest on what you understand. I'm paraphrasing now. So that your faith would not rest on what you understand. But it would rest on God's power. Nothing will challenge what you understand quicker than seeing a miracle, if you don't believe in miracles. (laughs) We have something like over 34,000 different denominations now. Because the Bible says that without the Spirit, the letter divides. It has divided into 34,000 denominations because we're moving about it wrong. We're moving the spirit. I don't want to come and just woo people with an impressive sermon. There's better preachers online than me. There always will be. But I know that if we come together and we experience the power of God and what God's doing, it gets us out of here. It says, man, that just brought a realization to me of how little I actually know because that was something I've never seen before. Bill Vanderbush, one of our speakers, says this. He says, Martin Luther brought a reformation of belief. God's now bringing a reformation of belonging. The reason we have so many denominations is because we build it around what you believe. Not if you belong. Because if you don't believe, we need to create another denomination for you. And that's how they were created. That's why some are so similar. It's like, man, are they even different? Well, there's this one little area that they disagreed on, so they created that one. Because when we start to operate heavily outside of the spirit, the very thing that brings life can bring division. Because you're starting to try to figure it out in your own head. And then it gets crazy. I believe with all my heart that God is bringing a reformation of belonging. I believe that statement, everything, when I, matter of fact, when I heard that was one of the reasons I knew we needed to have Bill at this conference. Pulling up a scripture. And it says this. Psalm 68, and this is what I believe that the Reformation we're coming into is. Psalm 68, 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. He sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. Jesus called his disciples based on the fact that he wanted them to belong, they didn't yet believe. I can prove it to you if you need me to. When he called Peter and wanted to borrow his boat and told him what to do, he said, I just went fishing. That's not going to work. He didn't even believe. That'll mess with your theology a little bit. God said, take your boat back out there, cast out the net on the other side, said, Master, we've already done that. It didn't work. But because you told me to, I'll do it. And what happened? He got blessed and everybody in his circle got blessed. What's the point? Jesus calls people to belong before he sees them believing. Our message has been, you have to believe before you belong. Which is why people don't wanna go to church because they feel like if they don't believe, they don't belong. And we have to get where they are. They may never come to church. I'm I'm gonna really blow your world for a minute, church. This place is not... (laughs) The church is not actually the place where we're supposed to get people saved. Don't shoot me up. This is actually not the place where we get people saved. Now it happens, it's great. Go Jesus, people come in and they get saved. This is actually the place where we actually raise up people to send them out to the place where people get saved. Because you have to make them belong before they'll believe. And I don't know a whole lot of believers that would really enjoy just going to Sunday morning service and waking up early, people that don't believe, for no reason. It's just true. Can we be honest well, as we wrap this up? It's true. Somebody that just doesn't love Jesus and doesn't care about church and has seen church done rather poorly ask them, hey, you want to come to church with me on Sunday? It's nothing wrong with asking. Don't get me wrong. Please do. Please keep trying. But the point is, it's hard to get them here because they don't have a value for it because they don't belong yet. But the thing, our responsibility, and it's not just on you. I take it on myself. My responsibility is also to be around people and make them feel like they belong. Let me just say this as, as I'm done. Victor over here on the, on, the, on the end, you've got a gift in this. You have a gift in this stronger than anyone I've ever known, and it's amazing. I don't even know what it is, quite frankly, but it's very, it's very amazing because you have an ability to walk up to anyone. And make them feel like they belong. I had the privilege of he came to the beach with us for a couple of days with his daughter, and he's the only guy I know that can go up to everyone on the beach and give high fives. And it's not weird if I do it. They're like, back off, dude. <laughs> Vic's just like, high five. There's only one guy that was like, okay, yeah. yeah so, 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 but, but there's a, there's a grace there, Vic, and it's more powerful than you know. And you've even been maybe told that it's. I even feel like maybe downplayed. Well, you need to really be serious about the important things. That's one of the most important things you carry is to make somebody feel like they belong. And I know that I just feel like you need to know that. I really feel like you need to know that. And you've got a grace on you, bro. That's, it's a grace. You know it. First time I met Vic, I'm telling you, I can tell you some stories. <laughs> The funniest one was when, I'll tell one. (laughs) He was in a coffee shop, my favorite coffee shop. And he decided he was gonna like stand up and yell everybody something. I left. He's like, dude, I was gonna tell everybody Jesus loves them. I'm like, well, if you get kicked out, that's my favorite coffee shop and I'm not getting banned with you. So I stepped out, but I hear him. I hear him from outside the door and I hear him just stand up and go, Everybody! You are amazing and beautiful, and God loves you so much. And there's this like, yeah, ooh, yeah, you know? It was like this, like, man, I feel that. And what's the point? That is what we are called to do. We are called to meet people where they are at and to help them feel like they belong. We are to take lonely and to put them in families. If you've been in this church for a while and you still feel lonely, you should come tell me because we're missing something. Because you should feel like you're part of a family. You should feel like you're a part of a family. Jesus put his love for people. I'll reference these scriptures, Matthew eleven eighteen 18 through 19. But Jesus, even there, put his love for people above his reputation. Here's why. That was the scripture where they, the disciples started going out and doing the signs, wonders, and miracles. And they had no idea what they were doing. But he said, do it in my name. Your name is your reputation. Most of the time, we don't tell somebody that has no idea what they're doing. Go do all that in my name contractor wouldn't do that that's for sure i know you've not been doing this long but just you're gonna do it under my umbrella and tell everybody you're with my company jesus had this thing with the disciples he said listen guys great name great 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 thing i'm sending you out you get to do all the good stuff just do it in my name they came back and in matthew 11:18, they start saying you're not gonna believe what we did you're you're not gonna believe this we're like casting demons out why? Because he valued people above his reputation. He, about, he valued them enough that he knew they would say things. He knew they would come into towns and say, listen, these people, you just want us to call it on fire? Like, just burn them up? Whoa, boys, whoa. whoa! <laughs> you don't know what spirits you're of. I mean, that's a pretty immature call there. And that was his A-team. I mean, you think you mess up sometimes. At least you don't come up to me at the end of service. That was a little bad. Should we just kill them all? Because that's what they just said, is that was a little rough. You want to just burn them all up? Whoa, guys. Whoa, we're going to have to work on that a little bit, a little bit. Because that's the devil, not me. He made them belong before they believed. We often bring people to churches and we get them saved and we immediately put them into a rigorous discipleship program. And after 200 weeks of training, we're going to let you teach Sunday school. And people that came in and felt loved can actually be discipled out of feeling loved. And it's actually dangerous if people that aren't believers feel more loved than how believers feel. We have a problem if that's how we handle things. Because the Bible says it's good news, it was never meant to be presented as a salesman pitch. It was meant to be presented as good news. It was not meant to be something where we're going to get you in. Because he loves you so much. And then we're going to take advantage of that. It was meant to be. It's still good news. It's good all the time. Put it this way. If it's not good, it's not God. If it's not good, it's not God. I tell people all the time, they're like, how do I know if it's over or not? Is it good? No. Well, then it's not God yet. Let's stay in it and go for it until it's God. It may not come out the way you thought it would end, but is it God? He's calling us to rise up. This message burns in my heart because I love people that are the ones that are doing the crazy stuff that nobody thought they should be doing it. I have a passion though and I believe with all my heart that the millennials don't need any more, how do I say this politely, they don't need any more, I'm just going to say it, crap about who they are and people need to speak identity into them. I tried to find another word. Sorry, that was the only one I could come up with. But the the millennials take so much heat. Well, they're a bunch of entitled yada, 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 yada. Well, they learned it from something. My job is to demonstrate, show people. I wrote this post this morning, and I didn't think I, I actually had no intentions of talking about it, but I'm going to, because it's Mother's Day. And my mom, I'm blessed. I have a great mom. You're all blessed because of my mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got going to cry. <laughs> She's like, stop it. <laughs> I have a great mom. And I, I put a post online this morning that I've never seen my mom ever disrespect someone my whole life. I've never seen my mom put someone else before her. And she has always shown love. And the thing that I've gotten is that I actually experienced kingdom values before I could even read. Because I get to see them through my mom. This is not a Mother's Day pitch. This is my experience with my mom. That I get to see it through her. <laughs> Easy, mom. <laughs> Easy. Think about those bath bombs you got. Um, <laughs> point is, there's uh, mothers are amazing, first of all. I mean, I mean, let's give honor where it should be given. Mothers are amazing. I'm sensitive on Mother's Day because I realize all the different situations in the room. I'm always really sensitive to that, but it doesn't take away from giving honor. Mom should be honored. But at the same way a mom can show the love of God, someone should be able to hang around me. And by the time they ever figure out or decide to be a believer and they start reading their Bible, the values of the kingdom are almost normal to them because they've seen it on me. They don't go, wow, that's what a believer's supposed to look like haven't seen one of those yet. No, they should be able to say, that makes sense. That's why you're so great to be around. Amen. Thanks, Jesus.